Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everyone. Pastor Rick here. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. Um, I want to remind those who are joining us online to go ahead and like, subscribe, and share this message. Matter of fact, if you do it right now, I'll just give you, I'll give you 10 seconds to, to, to work that out. Like, subscribe, and share this message so that the gospel can go out as far as possible. But today we begin a brand new series, if you haven't figured it out, that we've entitled The Gospel According to Marvel. It's our exciting summer series where we're going to have some fun with it because we're looking at the Marvel characters and how art sometimes imitates life. Have you noticed that? Art sometimes imitates life and where we're going to kind of extrapolate a message, hopefully a meaningful message, an uplifting message, a heartfelt message from these characters as well as from the Bible. Now, the Marvel Universe is a, is a fictional universe of superheroes and supervillains, and basically they, they kind of kick butt and take names, names like Captain America, the Hulk, and the Black Panther. And, am, I, am I just talking? Anybody know who I'm talking about? We're, we're all familiar with this, right? The Hawkeye, the Black Widow, the Spider-Man, of course, the story. And, the, and, and, and the, uh, of course, the heartfelt billionaire philanthropist. What's his name? Iron Man, or his actual name is Tony Stark, but that's his uh, AKA, also known as Iron Man, who we saw featured in the opening clip in which we're talking about today. I chose to highlight him because of the events that led him to kind of putting on the Iron Man suit. Did you see the Iron Man number one? Remember what the reason why he put on the suit was because he had a, his heart was failing. And, and his heart was failing because he was overseeing the use of weapons in a war, and ironically, during a battle, shrapnel from his own bombs kind of lodged around his heart, and, and they were moving in, and it was killing him. He only had one week to live. The only problem was that he, he'd been captured by a guerrilla army. He was coerced into making a weapon for enemy forces. And in Iron Man 1, he teams up with a fellow prisoner. He builds this Iron Man suit, and it gives him the power to escape and also to help him keep his heart beating. It keeps the shrapnel away from his heart. That's why they kept focusing in the, in the heart area. And that's how it all kind of started. Now, later, Stark would use his armor to battle supervillains and other criminals, but despite his new power, he would always have to wear his chest plate, at least for the first few series, to kind of stay alive, granting him an Achilles heel. An Achilles heel, if you will. And now, interesting side note, the Tony Stark is one of the most popular Marvel comics as Iron Man in terms of success, much to Stanley, his creator's surprise. Stanley recalls that the Iron Man comic book received more fan mail from female fans than any other Marvel comic book. And he kind of speculates that the, that the women were attracted to his vulnerable heart. I think the women were attracted to the fact that he was a millionaire, billionaire philanthropist. What do you guys think? Come on, somebody. The only, only superhero not broke. <laughs> he, he had a lot of money. But, you know, let's go. Let's go. We're going to go along with what Stan Lee says for this morning. For today's lesson, let's go along with his explanation. It's the vulnerable heart. Because this is exactly where we want to start as we focus on the gospel according to Marvel. The subtitle of this message is The Heart 
of a hero. Someone say the heart of a hero. The heart of a hero. And what should the heart of a hero look like? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about the heart as its, in, as it's importance to us spiritually and the things that God finds attractive. You want to know what God thinks is attractive about our heart? Well, our hearts, I want you to write this down. Everyone should have been given an outline. It's your first fill-in. Yeah, our hearts should reflect our values. Our hearts should reflect our values. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 29 and 30, he says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. In other words, he, the implication is we have a choice on what we set our hearts on. Does that make sense? So he says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink or worry about it. For the pagan world, or the pagan world is basically unbelievers, people who do not believe that there's a God or there's a Father in heaven who takes care of us. The pagan world wants after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. So he doesn't want you focusing on these things, these petty things. He says, I want you to focus on me, because he has the ability to supply our needs. Amen? Luke 12, 34. This is why he said it. For where your treasure is, what, what does he say? There your heart will be also. In other words, what you value the most, your heart's going to be there as well. And the Bible says our hearts reflect our values, and the Bible makes it clear that God wants our hearts to reflect kingdom values, not just eating and drinking and getting all you can, canning all you get, and eventually sitting on your can. Kingdom life is more than that. That's why God always will challenge those things that we treasure in our hearts, because the Bible says God's a jealous God. He's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. He's jealous for your affections. And he doesn't want it split between things that don't matter in the end and him, who is our eternal God, who, who we owe everything to. Does that make sense? So he will challenge our finances so, so that we don't mistakenly put our trust in material things, which is here today and gone tomorrow. It's foolish to set your affections on things that are passing away. So our hearts will reflect our values, but our hearts will also reflect our attitudes, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your, in your where? In your heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a what? Wow, you guys said it like you were cheerful too. For God loves a cheerful giver. Say it like you mean it. For God loves... A cheerful giver. The New Century Version says it this way. Each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give. You should not be sad when you give. You should not give because you feel forced to give. God, in other words, if you feel forced, don't do it. <laughs> okay? God loves the person who gives what? That version says happily. Not the person who says, oh, no, here comes the plate again. Those preachers are talking about money again. If that's the case, just hold on to your money. You're probably ruining your blessing. He loves a cheerful giver. He loves one who, who we should be able to give uh, 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 freely and happily. Now, in contradiction, let it be something that you have your heart set on. Uh-oh. Now, if we have our heart set on it, whether it's a new Apple product, a dress, a sale going on, how many know we find the money for that? We find the resources for those things. It always tickles me that people who, who, are, who, who are wearing $200 shoes, Nike Pros or whatever the new shoe is today, or they're walking around uh, with $1,000 phones, but they don't have a car. 
You ever notice that? Or, 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 or there are people who, who, who have this beautiful head, an un, un, unbelievably beautiful head. Did you catch that? <laughs> and have trouble paying the rent. I know a lady that was spending up to $1,000 a month on her hair and having trouble paying rent and brought the problem to me. I said, you really need me to tell you what your problem is? Honestly? Come on, somebody. Priority issue, that's right. Men especially, I mean, we love our toys. The bigger the kid, the bigger and more expensive the toys. And so we will find the money for what we want. Come on, somebody. Again, be, buyer beware, because where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You, you, you can tell what people treasure, listen, by looking in two places. You can, I can tell what people treasure by looking at the calendar where they spend their time and looking at their checkbook where they spend their money. Does that make sense? Yeah. Those are your priorities. And if, if your checkbook reflects hair, nails, clothing, hunting, fishing, golfing, and all the other stuff out there, but it's very low on the things of the Lord, I can tell you what your values are, what your priorities are, based on where you spend your money. The question is, does your heart need to be adjusted? Does your heart need to be adjusted? And can it be? Well, according to what Jesus said, he says, don't set your heart on such and such, but set it on these things. It's fully in our control to set our hearts where they need to be. Does that make sense? So with that, it starts with our attitude. Also, our heart reveals who we are, Matthew 15, 18. But what comes out of the mouth gets its start where? Help me, help me. In the heart. Matter of fact, Jesus said, out of, basically, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. I don't, have to, I don't have to read people's minds. All I have to do is listen to what people say. All I have to do is read people's lips. Because your, 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 your mouth will eventually tell me what's in your heart. If it's pride, it's going to come out. If it's anxiety, how many know it's going to come out of your mouth? The anxiety. If it's anger or frustration or guilt, whatever it is, it's going to come out. Conversely, if your heart's full of kindness and generosity, it's going to come out. And acceptance is coming out. If your heart is full of Jesus, it's coming out. Amen? So whatever's in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. That's why Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. Because the Jewish law and the Jewish tradition was full of, of what you can and what you cannot eat. And they were big on, you know, on the fine minutiae of these things. And Jesus turned around and said, listen, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. What goes into you might make you unhealthy, like too many Twinkies. Come on, somebody. <laughs> or dum-dums or anything along those lines. But it's not what goes in. He says it's what comes out of a man that defiles him. Because what comes out of him reflects what's in your heart. You know, the deceptions and all sorts of stuff. That's the stuff that comes out of the heart. I don't have to read people's minds. I read their lips. And those are the types of things that our hearts reveal. Our hearts reveals our values. It, re it reflects our attitude and reveals who we are. Now, the big question is, what kind of heart is God looking for? And the answer is simply this. Three things. I want you to write this down. God is looking for a 
committed heart. Someone say a committed heart. Deuteronomy 10, 12 says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, and to serve the Lord with half of your heart? Come on, somebody. I'm just seeing if anyone's paying attention, because sometimes we just fall into a law. What does it say? To serve the, God, the Lord your God with? With all of your heart. He wants all of your heart. He doesn't want 50% or 75% or even 95%. He wants all of your heart. Is that, is that what it says? Yes. Amen. And with all your soul. It's like a wedding vow. It's when you stand in front of the preacher at a church or wherever it is, and in front of your family and friends, you don't make a half a vow. I will love you with half of my heart. <laughs> I would love you with 75%, but I'm holding back 25%. No one does that. And if they did that, you would walk away, right? And no, you're not the man for me. No, you're not the woman for me. Come on, somebody. Well, God doesn't expect anything less. He, he wants a wholehearted commitment. He wants a full-throated, wholehearted commitment. And so the first one is a committed heart. Secondly, he wants a compassionate heart. In, in, in that particular clip, what we just saw, what was motivating Tony? There were terrorists that were terrorizing people. And, it, and, and where he was before, he was a weapons dealer. He had a change of heart. Not, not to mention his own weapon almost killed him, his own weapons. But he had a change of heart. He, ha he started having compassion toward the people that his weapons were destroying their lives. They, he was selling them. But these weapons were ending up destroying the lives of people. Psalms 37.4 says, take the light in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take your delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, some people read that two ways. They read it, that whatever, God, whatever I desire, God's going to give me. And they take that, and they, they take it out of context. I said, no, that's not what it's saying. He said, take your delight in the Lord, and he will give you. He will write his desires on your heart. You will desire what he desires. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a changed heart in here. I'm talking about a new way of thinking and a new way of doing things in this place. He will give you the desires of your heart. Amen? Compassion for the lost and the downtrodden and, 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 and care for the people around us. It can't always be about the big three, the me, myself, and I. We talked about that. So he wants a committed heart, and he wants a compassionate heart. And thirdly, he wants a contrite heart. Write that down. Which brings us to, our, uh, to, to David in the Bible. In Psalms 51, 17, this is what he said. My sacrifice, O God, my sacrifice, O God, is not money or bulls or anything along those lines. He said, my sacrifice to you, O God, is a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Now, in my humble opinion, David was a real live hero in his time, a hero of the faith, because he was real. Because that's a beautiful psalm that reflects on the grace that God poured out on him in spite of his failures and his shortcomings. And we know that David had some failures, right? We know that he had some shortcomings, but concerning his heart, this is what God said about him. Acts 13, 22. But God removed Saul, which was his predecessor, the king, and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, listen, I have found David, son of Jesse, 
a man, what does it say? A man after my heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Oh, my goodness. If only that could be said about you and I. Come on, somebody. That God will find in us, in Pastor Rick, in Scott, in, in Pastor Sean. Come on, somebody. In Robert, a man after his own heart who will do whatever he asks us to do. That would be awesome. Jesus said it this way. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And you, if you love me, you will do what I ask. That's what reflects the love of God in you, your obedience to what he says. What else did God say about David? On David's day of anointing, did you know that he wasn't even picked by his own father? Samuel came. God says the next king is coming out of the root of Jesse, so he narrowed it down to the family. And when it came time to anointing a king, he brought out all of his sons. I think there were seven sons that he brought out, and God rejected them all. David was the eighth one. Dude, don't you have any other children? But this is what he said in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. He said, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance, because Samuel was looking at these young men, and they were tall, and they were good-looking, they were strapping. And this is what the Spirit of the Lord said to, to, to him. Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? God looks at the heart which is totally different than what we see going on in the world in the Hollywood era and the makeup area about appearance. I remember when I was in middle school, I was either middle school or going to high school, I was riding the bus, and there was a young girl that would come on the bus almost every day, and she had on so much makeup. I mean, like it was a mask. It was like, oh, my goodness, that she earned the title from the people on the bus. They literally called her More Makeup. More makeup, because in her mind, she did not feel whole unless she was covered in makeup. Isn't that sad? It kind of reminded me of a story I heard about a 54-year-old woman who had a heart attack and was taken to the hospital. And while on the operating table, she had a near-death experience. Seeing, seeing, and seeing God, she, she asked, is my time up? And God said, no, you have another 43 years, two months, and eight days to live. And upon recovery, the woman decided to stay in the hospital and have a facelift, liposuction, breast implants, and, and a tummy tuck. She even had someone come in and change her hair color, brighten her teeth. Since she had so much more time to live, she figured she might as well make the most of it. After her last operation, she was released from the hospital. And while crossing the street on her way home, she was killed by an ambulance. Arriving in front of God, she demanded, I thought you said I had another 43, 43 years, two months, and eight days. Why did, you, why, did you, why did you pull me out of the path of the ambulance? And God replied, I didn't even recognize you. <laughs> so finally, concerning our hearts, listen to me, and this is important to all of us. If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. God cares more about what's going on on the inside than on the outside. Amen. He cares more about what's going on on the inside of you than outward appearances. Because even David screwed up, but he gave him the ability. I want you to write this down too. God's ability to forgive was limitless. Was limitless. 
no bounds. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. You won't die for this sin. And so David eventually owned, and you remember what David had done. David, had, when, the, when the men were going out to war, he, was, he stayed back on his palace, and he was overlooking the palace, and he saw a young lady that was, the king's palace was higher. I've been over to Israel. It's like on a mountaintop or a hilltop. And the higher you're up in authority, the higher you're up on the hill. Well, he's the king. So his, his pad oversaw everybody else's, and he, he saw a young lady that was bathing on the rooftop. That's where they bathed. And he desired her. Now, man, why? He had concubines and he had wives, but he desired that one. The only problem with that one, Bathsheba, she was, what, remember? She was married. She was married. And so he had her, he had her, he'd taken her, and then he sent her back home where he got her pregnant. Now he tried to cover it up, okay? And he, in trying to cover it up, he, he decided to, his, his, uh, her husband worked for him in the army. He brought the husband home, but he refused to sleep with his wife because he said, how could I sleep with my wife while the men are out there fighting these wars? So he tried to get him drunk, and that didn't work. And finally, he decided to, to send his, the, the husband out to the front lines with a piece of paper saying, when the fighting is the most fierce, put him in front of that fighting. And so he did that. He was literally carrying his own death sentence to the front line. And when, and when Joab read it, the letter, he put him in front of the fighting. And what happened to him? He died. And so then David figured he, he got away with it, took, the, took his wife as, a, as his wife. Only one problem with what David did, and who's going to correct the king? You know what I'm saying? Only God. Only one problem with what David did, God saw it and sent the prophet Nathan to him and rebuked him. And he told him a parable, and David got enraged. He told him a parable about somebody taking one person's little sheep when he had his own sheep, okay? Several other sheep to choose from, he takes his neighbor's sheep. And David became so enraged, and he said, that person should die. And Nathan said, that person is you. Oh, my goodness. And then David confessed before the Lord, confessed before the prophet Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Romans 5.20, moreover, the law entered the offense, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounds, help me somebody, grace abounds even more. The, the message says it this way, all that passing law against sin did was produce more lawbreakers, but did sin, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, when it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Come on, this, this should be good news to somebody because, I mean, we could point a legalistic finger at David, but we've all sinned. Come on, somebody. My Bible says all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. And this scripture says where sin abounds, grace even more abounds. All the more reason why we should be running toward God and not away from him. Amen? Because when we run toward him, we will find forgiveness. We will find mercy in our time 
of need. Now, folks, we need to understand that God's ability to forgive is limitless. I, I, I don't care what you've done, who you've done it to. If you come to God with a broken and contrite heart and you repent and ask for his forgiveness, he will forgive you. He will pardon you if you do it from a sincere place. But listen to this. Even though God forgave him, there were still consequences for his behavior. That's why you want to avoid it. There are consequences for bad behavior. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. What was the consequences for his behavior? It didn't just affect him, did it? Did his sin just affect him? No, it affected his, his new wife. It affected the child. The son that was born to him did not live. Write down the word contempt. Contempt. Because we see this in real time in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in our families and with our friends. Sin will bring death. Now, it might not be an immediate death to you, but it starts the death process in your life. That's why the Bible says to avoid it, to run away from it. And we'll talk about that in the in future messages. But write down the word contempt. It means a disregard for something that should have been done or should have been taken into account. To show contempt means you just, you knew the right thing to do, but you did the wrong thing anyway. And so rather than having a contemptuous heart, we already said what God is looking for. He's looking for what? Help me out, somebody. Uh, a committed heart. He's looking for a compassionate heart, and he's also looking for a, a humble heart, a contrite heart. He says, if I see these things, I will not. And when David humbled himself, God, the Bible says, you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. He didn't make excuses. Saul, on the other hand, when confronted by his sin, remember King Saul? He made nothing but excuses. He just made up excuses. When David was confronted by his sin, he said, Lord, I've sinned against you. I, I, I have blown it. And so upon self-examination this morning, if you find that you, have, that, 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 that you don't have these things going on in your heart, I want to invite you to do what David did. David came to a place in, a, in his life where he humbled himself and he prayed in Psalms 51.10. And this is what he said. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The message says it this way. It says, God makes a fresh start in me, shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. God, make a fresh start in me. Please shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. I love that. How many know that? that we serve a God who has the ability to give us a fresh start. Amen? I don't care how low things have gotten. I don't care what was done to you, what was said, or what you've done. If you would but surrender your heart, because that's where it all starts. That's where it all takes place. If we would surrender our hearts to him and ask him to hold it and to mold it, he will do exactly what he's done for David. If I get to that place where I say, create in me a clean heart, oh God, God will do that for us. Do you believe that? 
And so as we come to a close of this service this morning, just as Iron Man had a change of heart and David had a change of heart, can we say to God, Lord, change my heart? Isn't that what Jesus said when he says to, to not set your heart on things? Watch where your heart, the Bible says to guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. It all starts right here. And so as we come to a close this morning, I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes and, say, and, 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 and humble your heart before him. And say to the Lord, Lord, I know my heart should reflect my values and my attitudes and reveals my attitudes and who I am. And I know you desire not a contemptuous heart, but a committed heart, a compassionate heart, a contrite heart. Father, I just want to give you thanks. I thank you, Lord, that you care more about what's going on on the inside than outward. And, and right now, I just reveal myself to you. I open my heart to you. Forgive me of my sins. You said if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, that you might use me for such a time as now. Fill me with your spirit and those areas where I've fallen short. Cleanse me of those things. Thank you for sending your son to die for every single one of my sins, past, present, and future sins. And thank you, Lord, that you are working in me a changed heart so that I could be the man or the woman of God that you call me to be. Again, fill me with your spirit, with your power, and your love. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Thank you.